Hi folks, good to be with you. If we've not met before, my name is Luke and I'm on our pastoral team. We're continuing today in the Gospel of Luke, but as Dave said, uh, we're in a new chunk of it, which we're calling treasure maps. So we're in and around Luke chapter 12, starting today in verse 13. We, we finished off with Jesus' words before Holy Week, and we're picking up again uh, now. So this is Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So when I was a kid, every fall, a toy catalog would arrive in the mail. Before the internet, that was one of the most exciting days of the year. Because back then, we couldn't drool over every new toy on the market anytime we like on a cell phone. Our lust was concentrated through the thrilling TV commercials and glossy catalogs. Some of you remember a time even before that, maybe laying on your belly in front of uh, perhaps like the radio in your living room, listening to commercials promising the toy that would change your life. Back then, for me, when that catalog turned up, I'd get out the pen and I'd start circling. Maybe I could save up for this. Maybe I could ask for that. Just imagine how great my life would be if I could get my hands on that action figure or the new Batmobile. The possibilities were mouth-wateringly endless. That catalog was my kid treasure map to happiness. And today, you know, I'd like to say that I've evolved, but I think it was Wordsworth that wrote, the child is the father of the man. So the stakes are higher now, but they're still, they're still stakes. You know, the toy catalogs have been replaced by car leases, competitive interest rates, the dream of a comfortable retirement. Just imagine how great my life would be if I drove that or if I lived there. Just imagine if I, if I could secure that future, if I could get in that financial position. The treasure maps don't disappear as we age, do they? They just tempt us with heavier treasure chests. Full disclosure, talking about money in church can be awkward. I think for a couple of reasons. First, money is a sensitive subject. It's close to the heart maybe closer than we'd like even to admit. It's interesting if you read all the Gospel of Luke that, that many of the characters in the Gospel uh, who experience Jesus' generosity, they then react by getting generous themselves. Some people will say it like this, when the heart opens, so does the wallet. And so in that sense, you know, Luke's Gospel is another example in Scripture of how our fragile hearts and our financial holdings are actually quite intimately connected. So it's worth noting that as much as we'd like to think that we're cool and disconnected about money, we're not. In fact, most of us are private, maybe even insecure about it. Why? Well, it's because money matters, doesn't it? 
Maslow's hierarchy of needs tells us that our basic psychological needs are directly connected to material provision. We need food, we need water, we need warmth, we need rest, we need security, and only a few of those things grow on trees. So whenever we talk about money, kind of in any setting, we're talking about stuff that hits deep. So it's just best to be honest about that. For example, research shows that the two main stressors in most marriages are finances and in-laws. Surprise! I think another reason that we get nervous about money talk in church is because we think and we worry that the church might want our money, right? And we worry that there's this evil side of capitalism which has infiltrated this sacred space. Maybe religion is no different than the rest of the world, willing to use any tactic to drum up more cash. And so when money comes up in church, we feel like saying, don't drag God into this. And I think that we rightly get a bit skittish when you know the biblical teaching comes out, telling us that if we do this with our money, then God will have to do that. You know, of course, it's tempting to think that if we gave the church our money, God would have to bless us, but with a little bit of brains and thought, we know that that's simplistic and probably even manipulative. Which connects to maybe a third reason that we get nervous about money talk in church, which is that sometimes religious people and places haven't been generous like Jesus, or worse, they've been unintegral or corrupt. And that's damaging because Jesus' followers are meant to act above board and be growing in generosity. So there's really three kind of good reasons never to talk about money in church because it's just too awkward and uncomfortable. So here ends the sermon. Thanks for joining. <laughs> of course not. You know, on the other hand, in church, we talk about Jesus. And Jesus talks about what we find in Luke's gospel here today. For example, he talks about money, talks about worry, talks about security, he talks about trust. And when we listen to Jesus, we learn that it's healthy to be open about money and our hearts. As awkward as it might be, it is good for us. A couple other thoughts before we get into the passage, um, just in the, the sense of who we are as a community, as living waters. You know, as a church, we want to make sure that we hear Jesus in Scripture clearly and really do our best not to muddy the water. And what I mean is, our time in Scripture is about formation and growth. It's not about living water's bottom line. That might be awkward to say, but we need to say it. You know, whenever a church muddies the water between what Jesus is saying and then leveraging that towards the motivation to give to that specific church— it's not always wrong, but it's something that I think we should be cautious of. That said, any true community is, as we know, a participating community. And so it's perfectly right to talk about financial participation in a local church, just as we participate in other ways in the church, like how we serve together with our time or our gifts. Church is not all consumption. It's also contribution. And if we didn't contribute together, sharing our time, our gifts, our energy, even our, our, yeah, our financial resources, we wouldn't be and we couldn't be a healthy Jesus community. So it's also important to say that, that over the next few weeks, you know, as a church, we are going to take time to share a few things just while we're on the subject. 
You know, first we're going to share about resources to deal with our finances as Christians. That's the workshop that we just heard about that Mike and Dave were telling us about. Uh, we're also going to hear from uh, our treasurer. We're going to get an update about Living Waters Church's best financial practices. Um, because when we give, we want to be confident that our gifts are honored and stewarded wisely. And we take that really seriously as a church. And then later in this month, we're going to point to more resources that are coming in the fall, which are really practical and I think really, really helpful for us as Christians. Uh, actually gifts to us from our broader denomination, which is going to be a good, exciting opportunity. And we'll share about that later. We're doing really all this stuff because we think that a local church's job is, in part, uh, to equip us for life with Jesus in the real world. And so it just feels strange to sort of work through Jesus' words and say, this is what Jesus says about money and about worry and about trust, and then not to make room for the very practical questions and the discussion that that draws out, the realities that we live in. So that's why we're we are asking those open questions. We are providing resources. We are just saying, this is what Jesus has to say, and let's see how this works out in the life of our church. Back to that thought about our psychological and physical needs and the connections between money and the heart as we get closer to this passage again. You know, maybe Jesus talks about money and worry and trust because he knows us deeply and he knows what keeps us up at night. Or maybe, as in this passage, we are so obsessed with money and possessions that Jesus has to talk about it because we just keep bringing it up. And that's kind of what happens in this text, as we heard, where this man asks Jesus this question about inheritance. Let's get into the text, Luke 12, 13 again. This question gets asked and Jesus has a response. First, it's worth noting that Jesus has just told his disciples, if we recall, to be uh, mindful of, to beware the hypocrisy of the religious elite. As Rick drew out for us before Easter, hypocrisy has its roots in fear. We're hypocritical because we care about esteem, concerned more with human opinion than God's opinion. So Jesus finishes his thought to his disciples by telling them to side with God, to live with integrity, rather than worry about what others think of them. And if that's going to land them in hot water, then to trust that God will give them what they need when the going gets tough, which is the gift of his Holy Spirit. In a sense, in that moment in scripture, Jesus is simply saying to his disciples, just trust God to give you what you need. And that's where we ended off before Holy Week. Right after, as we just heard, Luke turns our attention to Jesus' interaction with this massive crowd, thousands of people around trampling on one another to get close to Jesus. And the first demand on Jesus from that crowd is a question about money. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. A couple of thoughts. It's likely that this inheritance question had something to do with real estate and that this question is coming from also a Jewish person for whom real estate was desperately important in first century Palestine. That land was supposed to be promised land, the land that God had given the Israelites. So what happens when you don't get a slice of it? What happens if you can't be buried in that land? 
What does that mean for God's promise to you and your cultural history, your cultural future? You know, these are still really complex questions that we're facing in the Near East two millennia later. Real estate and religion. And we face those questions around the world as well. What does an inheritance matter? Well, it matters because security matters. Culture, history, a sense of identity matters. Given those really high stakes, Jesus' response, it's strange. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? You know, we could be forgiven for thinking that Jesus doesn't sound all that interested in the question because he can't mean that he has no right to speak to the matter. You know, he's walking around forgiving sins. He's pronouncing woes on Pharisees. This problem should be a walk in the park for Jesus. It seems more like a lack of interest in being dragged into a financial family feud. And so he responds by speaking to the issue behind the issue. Watch out. Be on your guard against every kind of greed. Someone wants to talk about money, and Jesus starts talking about motivation. It's similar language that we've heard from Jesus to his disciples to watch out for hypocrisy. So we have two consecutive stories of Jesus warning his disciples about hypocrisy, again, very connected to fear, and then a warning about the dangers of greed, which later we'll see also have connections to fear. Let's just pause for a moment as we let that settle in. And I wanna say something about Jesus talking about money. It's really important to note here that Jesus isn't warning about the dangers of money. He's warning about the dangers of greed. And as we know, greed can grow in poverty or greed can grow in affluence. So this is not necessarily a condemnation of the rich, though Jesus has words for the rich, as the scriptures do for sure, but it's an insight about trust. This is about the orientation of human hearts. We cannot love God and money, Jesus says elsewhere. We can only serve one master. Jesus adds in this story, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Or maybe you've heard the home sense version. The best things in life aren't things. Ironically, that's often stitched into a $50 pillow, but we'll put that aside. You know, Jesus moves on after he makes this really provocative statement and he tells one of his provocative stories. Luke 12, continuing on in verse 16, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. That little story is simple, but nuanced. A man does so well that he sits back on his mound of resources, assuming he's secure. 
for me, the image of Scrooge McDuck kind of comes to mind. But the point is not just that the man has become greedy, it's that he feels set. He acts self-sufficient. He presumes he's got years of comfort ahead of him, but he isn't set. Turns out he hasn't got years. No matter how much grain, no matter how much savings, he's gonna die. Just as, spoiler alert, everyone dies. So Jesus' answer to the inheritance question about wanting a slice of the pie is that you can end up with more pies than you can count. You'll still have a death problem. Just a few yards behind me, you can even see it behind the window, are hundreds of graves. Death is literally just around the corner. Sometimes we're forced to think about it, Sometimes we do everything we can to avoid thinking about it. You know, the pharaohs built pyramids in an attempt to manifest immortality. Monarchs colonized and controlled global trade. And today, billionaires build rocket ships and probably cryo chambers. Everyone wants to feel secure. Everyone is scared spitless of death. Everyone is trying desperately to placate that fear by getting their hands on just enough to feel safe. But we're not safe from death. I can circle all the toys in the catalog. I can contribute to more RRSPs than I can count. I'm going to die. Our mortality is an unavoidable reality that when ignored causes us problems to put it mildly. In the story that Jesus tells, notice what God calls the man who thinks he can secure himself. He doesn't call him wicked. He doesn't call him evil. He calls him foolish. When we pretend that we can grab enough to galvanize our security, when we obsess about money and inevitably grow greedy, we're living foolishly. The Bible's wisdom literature is full of this language. If you read Ecclesiastes, you find it there. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Again, it's not that money's evil. It's not that we shouldn't earn or save or steward our financial picture. Jesus isn't saying any of that. It's just a reminder that none of that solves the problem of death. None of that solves the reality that when we pass our stuff down to other people, that those people are eventually going to die as well. My fear that I won't be able to provide for my children as they grow up is not that I won't be able to put a roof over their heads or that I won't have something to pass on to them later. The root of that fear is that I'm afraid that one day they're going to die, whether they die when they're eight or when they're 80. Some of us listening have been through that, that hell of losing a spouse, of losing a sibling or a child. And you know that no amount of accomplishment or resources, or even legacy in that person's life matters when they die young or old. You just want to know when someone's gone that they're safe.
You know, as pastors, we preside over enough funerals to have heard again and again that everyone wants to know that their loved one is safe. And all we're told in scripture is that when children of God die, they are just with Jesus. And that's pretty much it. We don't get told they have a nice pad. We don't get told they have a good retirement package in eternity, or they have a nice chair with Jesus right next to them if they've been extra good. We just have to trust that everyone we lose are not lost to Jesus and are safe in his hands. Because at the end of the day, that's all any of us really have. If God is God and we are merely a breath on the face of the earth, what's the sense in letting our whole identity and life be shaped by the love of money and the delusion that it will secure us. So when this man asks this question about inheritance, Jesus tells a story that takes it down to the bone. Someone brings up an uncomfortable topic and Jesus makes it even more uncomfortable. You wanna talk about money worries? I know what really worries you death, and you can't buy or save your way out of that problem. So don't trust stuff. You know, what's also of note here is that if this question is asked from the perspective of a first century Jew, which is possible, Jesus is saying something pretty controversial. He's saying that human security is not ultimately tied up in land or resources. It's tied up with trust. If Israel has taken its eye off the ball and is trusting their control of their surroundings rather than Yahweh, the God who put them there, things aren't gonna go well, which is the story that we hear over and over again in Israel's scriptures. And so the nudge here, as we look ahead to what Jesus will say next, and we'll unpack that the next couple of weeks, the nudge here is not to stay tied up with finances and control, it's to stay tied up with trust, not the delusion of, of control, which, as it turns out, is actually really good news. It means that Jesus' people don't have to scrap over land. It means that we don't have to drag one another into civil court to settle disputes. It means we can be generous with one another and our neighbors, our security, our identity, our eternity, is tied up with Christ above and beyond. And that changes how we look at each other. That changes how we relate in God's good world. That doesn't mean that financial crises aren't real. It doesn't mean that, that debt isn't crippling. It doesn't mean that we'll, we'll never worry about the balance of a bank account. All those things are right here in front of our faces, aren't they? It just means that our humanity, our identity, our eternity isn't defined by financial bottom lines. So if today our bottom line is looking pretty bad, or if it's looking pretty good, the invitation is, is not to consider ourselves overly secure or terribly insecure. We can stay tied up with trust, and let attention on money take a back seat to that trust-building relationship with the creator and sustainer of our entire material reality. You know, one of the core values 
at Living Waters is generosity. And over the years, we've learned, as we've tested this value again and again and again, we've learned that this value in the heart of our church makes absolutely a difference to those that we give to, kind of globally and locally. When we give outside of the walls of the church, it makes a difference to those people. But what we found is it makes the biggest difference to us. We need to be reminded to be generous because Jesus is generous. And we want to let his open-hearted and open-handed attitude and posture shape our attitudes and shape our postures. So our value of generosity is about justice. It's about practical need meeting, yes, but it's probably more about discipleship to Jesus for us. It's saying to him, Jesus, I'm a bit of a damaged and worried human being, and I want to learn to trust you with the whole picture, including the bank account. You know, Jesus has more to say about money and worry and trust, and we're gonna dig into that into the next few weeks, um, especially when it comes to the questions about anxiety and provision. And so we're gonna invite you to keep leaning into this conversation because those things in our day and age, anxiety and provision, it, it's crippling and it's painful uh, when we see one another wrestle through these really difficult things. So we're gonna take that seriously as we hear what Jesus has to say and make room for one another. But just for today, as we close, just one thought. If we find ourselves bent over that toy catalog, drooling and lusting and obsessing, Jesus would say, you're kidding yourself. It's only a plastic Batmobile. The pyramids are only a pile of rocks. Toys make terrible gods. Money is a bad master. Come back again to what we hear in 1 John. Little children, keep yourself from idols. We're gonna put a prayer on the screen to close because we can talk about all this stuff and unpack it together, but we want to share a prayer together. And so as this prayer comes up on the screen and as I read it, uh, we wanna invite you uh, to read along. And so I'll read it slowly. And as you're watching this on a phone or on a computer or a TV, whether you're alone or with people, would you pray this with me? And maybe even with the people that, that you're alongside. Let's pray this as we close. Lord Jesus, we confess we often feel insecure. We confess we worry and obsess over today and tomorrow. Give us your spirit. Fill us from head to toe and help us trust. We hold open our money matters, our past, our present, our future. Heal our wounds. Help us out. Heap on the wisdom. Remind us we are in your hands and give us peace. In the generous name of Jesus, amen.